Welcome back to season two of the Run Culture Podcast. My name is Dane Verway. I'm an experienced running physiotherapist, coach, and marathoner. This season will involve open discussions with my running colleagues about the key principles behind injury-free running and optimal performance. It'll be backed by personal experience, science, and history. I can only hope some of these chats inspire curiosity and expand or confirm perspectives and beliefs amongst the running community. Anyway, I hope you enjoy the episode. brief interlude from the show guys before I get back to it if you have any running injuries or running questions training indecisions and you want to book an online or in-person physiotherapy appointment with myself Dane Verway go to www.runculture.org while there you can also find a link to my online strength and conditioning community where you'll join an exclusive members only Facebook group and gain access to over 220 minute running specific mobility Pilates or strengthening routines Anyway, enough from me, let's get back to the show. Mm. Yeah. Oh, on to the podcast anyway. Oh yeah, yeah, so um, pretty much I wanted to talk about how um, a lot of us can be negative at times um, without really knowing it um, and how, like, how much it can like impact our decision making and um what we choose to do and so i've come up with well probably like four or five like main categories of how we can be negative without even knowing it so one of the or two of them were called assumptions so like how we can make assumptions on what we think people are thinking of ourselves of us so like how often do you have patients you're treating them and they go oh i'm not going to do that because they'll think i'm a loser or they'll laugh at me um and so then they don't go to the gym or they they don't do the 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 exercise that you're asking them to do because they think their parent their family's going to laugh at them um and when really like we're just assuming that um a lot of the time uh, and they might be thinking something completely different. Um, yeah, so mind, mind reading, I think that's a, one that I think a lot of us do without even knowing it, and it stops us from being our true self or, or doing something that potentially could have been a really good decision for you or yourself, but you, you choose not to do it because, yeah, you're worried that... Um, you're worried about what people will, will, what you think people will think, but really they're not going to think that way. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people are too caught up in themselves to worry about you anyway. Yeah. Like we're often so much in our own heads that we think other people care more about us than they actually do. Oh, a hundred percent. Like, I, like I've just been, like I showed you before the podcast, like reading this book by Gwendolyn Smith, uh, the book of knowing 
And yeah. like I said just that. It's like under the um, my mind reading um, yeah. assumption uh, part, I said often we're worried about what others are thinking about us, but then they're thinking exactly the same. <laughs> so everyone in the room yeah. is thinking the same. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Or thinking negatively. Um, uh, that other people will be, you know, thinking negatively about themselves, and and I think it's it's a good negative thought to be aware of because if you're more aware of it, you can pick yourself up on it and go, oh, hang on, you know, do they really think that way, um, uh, or am I just um, is that just me like putting that um, that thought um, there um, and out in the world. Uh, yeah, the next one was fortune telling. Mm. So fortune telling is how you often have a patient that you treat and they go, oh, I'm not going to do that because there's no point. It's not going to work. Um, so they're already deciding um, on the spot that they're like, that's it. No, nah, it's or like, you, like I've, I've had a few patients before where I'm like, oh, mm. I really think Pilates might be a, a go for this, this um, injury. Uh, and they're like, oh, I've done that, it doesn't work. And then you sort of delve a bit deeper and you're like, okay, well, how often have you tried it? Where did you do it? Um, what exercises did yeah. you do? And then you start to work out when you go a bit into the nuances and the, the specifics of it that perhaps that idea of Pilates wasn't really specific to what they needed and so they still potentially need something Pilates related but maybe like a, um, they need a, to try it a little bit further and, and experiment with it a bit more. Um, yeah, so like I don't know if you've got any like examples of, of, um, of that Brent like um, with patients that you've treated or, or you often see that in the clinic. One thing that comes to mind that I can probably come up with a better example would even just be though when I've um, when I used to work in the hospital and they'd talk about like all those surgeons would bring up a case of say someone who needs shoulder surgery and the surgeons might say oh they've seen physio they've tried physio it didn't work and that's often where I think hang on what type of physio have they done like who have they seen do they see someone who gave them um, you know, minimal education and really passive treatment that didn't really address anything and then they've just said, oh, they saw a physio for two years and they know better and that means it didn't work. Like, there's, yeah, the assumptions. Or I guess it's probably the thought of, like, somewhere I could weave into seeing, treating a patient who, post-fracture, they've come out of a camboot and they're saying, oh, my ankle hurts, it means it's damaged, I'm harming it, and then they make these assumptions on what they shouldn't do. Yeah, yep. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, and I think it like fans pretty well into another common negative thought and that's overgeneralization. Um, and yeah, often you, you also, there's also this tendency to go, oh, all right, that, that aspect of, um, uh, yeah, physio or, or whatever um, modality that the athlete or runner was trying um, didn't work so nothing's going to work or if, mm. if you take it from a vantage point of a runner like you know they uh, might you know fail at one one particular meet um, and then they just go all right I'm no good I'm not a good runner um, and, and that training didn't work um, but then if you delve into the yeah. weeds like 
it might have been more to it. Like there might have been, oh, you didn't sleep well or, you know, it was a windy day. Um, you are dehydrated. Um, and, yeah. you know, like five weeks ago, you were training amazingly. Like um, it's I was easy. talking to someone on the weekend who's told me that they did a half marathon and they don't like it. They didn't enjoy it. And then when you unpacked, they were disappointed because they got a virus two weeks before the race and they didn't train for a week. And then the Melbourne half that day was much hotter than every other year. And those two things, they ran poorly and that's it. They don't like half marathons. Yeah. However, had they not got sick and it was a nice day and they ran the time they wanted, they'd love map running. It's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. So easy to like overgeneralize and um, throw everything into the same, same bucket. And, um, you know, suddenly like that half marathon, uh, like if they never try the half marathon again, you know, had, had the conditions or the circumstances been sl slightly different, um, they might have had a completely different experience. And then, you know, the next couple of years, they might have just kept doing it and, and really enjoyed it. So it's, um, it's an important one to be aware of uh, because I, I think we often like um, uh, just quickly um, paint everything with the, the same brush sometimes and... Um, uh, sometimes good to like pause and and uh, reflect and and um, look look a bit more um, detailed into into some some things. Uh, yeah, another one was um, the all or nothing way of thinking. So all or nothing uh, pretty much means that. Um, you've got this black or white thinking, there's no shades of gray, there's nothing in between. And it means you're quite a rigid thinker and you're not very flexible. And so the downfall of that way of thinking that, you know, it's either this way or that way is that you can become very steadfast in your beliefs. And when things aren't going your way, it's very hard to change. Um, I think, um, yeah, all or nothing, thinking is another automatic negative thought that some people and you know i've might have had it here and there um, with various circumstances um in the past um but it can yeah it can sort of uh i don't know make you um go about things the wrong way and and um knowing that uh being, being a bit more open and flexible to certain ideas um and knowing that you know sometimes you need to be able to shape your beliefs and um the way that you think about things um is a really important mindset i think going forward but um yeah i don't know if you've got any examples brent i've just thrown that one at you yeah it's true like there's so many people want to have an understanding of a topic and want it to be simplified and I wonder what would be good examples, but often people could ask me a question of like, is this good? And it's like, well, it depends. It's not often good or bad. It's like there's a, there's many shades of grey in the middle rather than it being black or white. Yeah. Yeah, like, so often like, I get yeah. that question as well. It's like, oh, so I've got this injury. What do I do about it? And then it, the answer is it depends again. Like, um, And, yeah, it's, it's really those layers of context around the... the um, the injury um, that matter, um, it's the individual and um, yeah, the circumstances that probably um, shape the way you go about it. But, and because and of those um, nuances, um, 
yeah, it's hard to hard to like give someone a straight black or white answer. Um, yeah, but a lot of things are like that, and I think the sooner that people can come around to being a bit more open about some of their decisions like that, then they're more likely to seek um, uh, seek um, different advice and um, be a bit more open um, and not as rigid with their beliefs. And they might find that they might stumble across something that works better. Um, yeah, so that, that's a good one. Uh, next one was comparison trap. Uh, so the comparison trap, uh, is quite common these days with social media and Strava um, and yeah just always thinking the grass is greener and never really sort of um, accounting for what's good in your own kind of circumstance um, or training or life and always thinking oh, um, you know oh, maybe I should do this or that um, so yeah, the comparison trap is another one where I feel like if uh, some of us runners got better at um, being a bit more content and also recognising what we are doing well um, and what is working, um, yeah, I, I think um, some people will be happier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. And even like runners often look for like the magical workout that some pro is doing rather than thinking, right, where am I at now? Do I maybe grow my volume over three months? And that might be better for me than something that's just a quick fix that sounds better because they're doing it or yeah, seeing something on social media that they want to copy or yeah, yeah. there's a lot of what you see of other people might not be the actual truth. That's the perception they want to put out there. So you're comparing yourself to something that's not actually realistic either. Yeah. Yeah. In a lot of cases. No, that, and that's like that's... even. Yeah. I mean, ahead. even when I um I can't I haven't really posted much on Instagram the last few years, but even when I was traveling, like the the um the one is to send like put up the photos of the really cool pictures and the um you know the sites that you see rather than why would they want to know that when my flight gets delayed and I spend three hours in a I mean overnight in an airport like. Not that I'm hiding what the, the bad stuff about traveling is, but people would just only want to be interested and see the good stuff. So it's easy to be like, oh, Brent had a perfect holiday when actually maybe I'd, there were lots that went on up to that photo. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's really good. Like it's made me, um, uh, yeah, think of, um, there was one particular example in this same book um, from Gwendolyn Smith, uh, The Book of Knowing. Uh, she talks about the difference between reality and perception and um, I'll read it out because uh, I think it's pretty good. So you and your friend decide to go to the movies together. You end up falling asleep, bored and struggling to maintain any interest whatsoever. But when the lights come on, your friend is in tears and says that was the most powerful movie I've ever seen. It was beautiful. How can that happen? You both heard the same music, looked at the same footage, the same actors, the same storyline. The answer is your individual perceptions of the movie and the me meaning that you give to them define the experience for you. So I feel like, um, yeah, knowing the difference between like reality and perception is so important. Um, like there, you, two people in this example have looked at the same movie. They've watched the same movie mm -hmm. and had very different emotional and behavioural 
responses to the same script, um, and and so I think I think that that those responses like are determined by obviously um, the two people's past experiences, life experiences, values, um, and belief systems, and then that sort of dictates how they've responded. Um, their personalities are probably different, and uh, yeah, I, I think um, yeah, that that is important to to know. And then the other example that she came up with um, and and says in the book, and I, I won't, um, I'll just recite, I'll just um, talk about it. But it was about this girl who was struggling to decide on what jeans to wear when she was going out to this party with all the the cool people in her group. Um, and she knew that everyone was going to wear um, this certain type of jeans. Um, so she, um, and then she looked in her cupboard and she couldn't find those jeans. And she suddenly had this, um, it triggered a, a fight or flight sort of survival response that from an evolutionary point of view, we've all got, but um, something so finicky um, and small really like it's not like she was going to die if she wore the wrong type of jeans, but she got like re she got really upset, distraught, um, like like her life was about to end, and she actually said that um, uh, this is the, this is the end of my life. <laughs> um, uh, all over a pair of jeans and going to a party, um, it triggered such an emotional um, and and real like response, but. Um, that was because of her perception of the party that she was going to and and all to be accepted in the, in into the clique and the the cool gang she had to wear a certain type of jeans um so i, th I think like those two examples are really good ones to know because it shows how complex our responses are to certain situations and acknowledging that sometimes those aspects come into decision making um and it's and and really, if we take a step back and, and work out like what's actually important, um, suddenly um, we can rationalise our responses a little bit more and and um, use our, our frontal frontal lobe a little bit more, um, yeah, rather than the um, uh, the sort of monkey brain um, survival brain, yeah. Um, yeah, you would see this perhaps a little bit as a physio, Brent, like in some of the decision-making with your patients um, too? Mm, yeah, for sure. Yeah. How do you tackle it? It's often interesting to, I mean, staying inside my job as a physio, not being a psychologist, but trying to unpack it a little bit and work out, even just asking them a bit more to reflect on what's their opinion and why and how do they come, come to this thought process. And even sometimes it's thinking, right, I reckon they know the answer here, but if I can question them, they might be able to come a bit up with it, a bit like motivational interviewing. Yep. Um, and another good strategy is even sometimes getting people to say, right, if you knew someone else in this situation, what would you give them advice to do? So putting them in a third person about their own situation. Yep. And sometimes it helps people to step out of their emotional response and think a bit more logically about what to do. Yeah, definitely. I think like, like that layer of distance um, and distancing yourself uh, from the situation. Um, and then, yeah, it's always easier um, when, you're, when you're talking about someone else's situation too. Um, yeah, but that, that, that's like really good. And I think it's, um, 
it's those kind of strategies that you need when it comes to um, aspects of negative negative thinking. Um, like you said, we're both physios, so we're not psychologists, but at the same time, um, a lot of the decision making, whether you're a, um, uh, a physio or any kind of health professional, comes down to understanding the person in front of you and what makes them tick. So, like it is, um, it's an art often, and it comes down to rapport and and getting to um, uh, really understand um, what the person in front of you has gone through. Um, yeah, so I think I think um, yeah, when people come up and say, "Oh, with, with this injury, or oh, what what exercise do I need to do for it?" You can suddenly see the layers involved when it comes to um, like the thought processes involved when it comes to rehabbing someone because like that everyone thinks about every idea very differently. So it's um, the complexities of um, life experiences and, and belief systems um, and what what's going to click for one person is so different, you know, <clears throat> from person to person. So I think that just shows the layers involved when it comes to rehab. Um, yeah, I don't know if you've got anything to add there. Yeah, there's obviously not a one-size-fits-all approach either, which is what that comes back to that um, it's not all or nothing, like even how to work with someone who's who's got a challenge from a negative thoughts mindset too. Like what you do with one person might not be the same thing that you do with another patient. So it comes back to the clinical reasoning and thinking about, right, what are they saying and what would we like to achieve and how can we get them to be either part of the solution or even to acknowledge what they're thinking and to understand your thoughts is a huge step in um, knowing how to, you know, make changes as well. Yeah, because I guess like once you understand your thoughts, because your thoughts are what dictates your perception of reality and it dictates your mm. behaviour as well. Um, it's literally like your thoughts on you know, what's happening in front of you. Like that's why you respond how you respond and why you behave how you behave. Um, so yeah, literally understanding how you think about a certain thing is so important. Um, yeah, I've, I've had a patient that I've treated um, in the last couple of months that opened up to me the other day and said, oh, I'm quite a pessimist um, and I'm like, I. I, like I, I'm really good at like thinking of all the things that could probably go wrong, um, and probably focusing on them. And yeah, I, I thought it was really interesting because this lady like has um, succeeded at the highest level in in sport. Um, she's achieved some amazing things. Um, so I feel like um, it, it was really um, interesting to hear that. Um, but I think the biggest thing was she was aware of it. So she was aware of when she like probably thought negatively. And I think when you're aware of it, you can go, oh, perhaps I'm being a bit conservative here. Maybe I should chat to my coach or chat to a, a significant other about this situation as well. And, and especially if they're perhaps a bit more optimistic than you, and maybe you can gleam a more balanced view of the situation and a more accurate, truthful, factual, real, um, uh, sort of hold of the situation ahead of you? Yeah, sure. 
or even it um it even sort of brings thoughts on about say at the moment with um Imogen being 18 months she's gone through like another attachment phase back to to um her mum and um it's hard not to have a knee-jerk reaction of feeling like I'm getting um like shut down or or left out when she just wants when she just calls out for mum and um and even like being aware of my reactions doesn't mean that I'm not, I'm still susceptible to getting frustrated or being like, oh, that's not, not ideal and voicing it. And so sometimes it's un- understanding later, hey, what, did, what happened? What did I think when it comes up next time? What can I do differently? Because it's, um, yeah, being aware of your thoughts doesn't mean you can suddenly just control everything perfectly, but it means you can learn from a situation and, and practice for next time as well. Yep. Yeah. Like I've even, um, no, that's so true. I've got my whole group to do a few personality tests actually um, lately, and I did it last year as well. Um, and it and I think um, that yeah, the whole group I'm coaching that is, and I think it's like so important to just like for me as the coach, but also them as the athletes. Like for me as a coach, like I've learned a few things just looking at their responses. Um, like uh, yeah, like it's opened my eyes to certain aspects that suddenly like oh okay they sort of maybe prioritize that that and that like um they're those they're that's their values whereas i thought they were sort of barking up this different tree and it um so it's been really good as a learning experience as a coach but i think it's um obviously really good um uh yeah as an athlete like i just went on to this website truity.com and they've got so many um yeah, about five different personality tests there, like whether it's Myers-Briggs or the DISC um, or Enneagram or the Big Five. Um, and I think, you know, I don't know how much of a hard science it all is, but I think it gives you a little bit of more awareness, like a greater awareness and understanding of um, potentially um, your own self and, and perhaps... Um, yeah, where you could improve in your personality or what you've got to probably be a little bit mindful of, um, where you can be more balanced. And, and I think, um, yeah, I mean, the same goes with negative thoughts. And, uh, uh, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, the only other um, negative thought that I wanted to probably just cover, there's a few more, but the other main one that I, I wanted to cover was catastrophizing. Um, and, uh, it's, it's also called magnif- magnification bias, um, uh, where we can turn small things into big things. Um, and it's very easy to do, do, um, where we can just stew over things and suddenly they, these smallest thing that shouldn't be an issue becomes an issue and it stops us from doing something. Um, and yeah, I've, I've certainly, um, seen that um be a huge hurdle in a few of the patients that i treat um and it's and it um yeah i mean it's easy easy to to fall into that trap um yeah i I had one patient um in particular where i think it's more that bias that's what that stopped her from uh yeah doing a lot in her running um and by it was as soon as we started to um, uh, be a bit more mindful that she has this um, way of um, yeah magnifying certain situations, we were able to um, definitely diffuse a few situations and 
and uh, it was huge, like in terms of like achieving some of the goals that she's achieved. Uh, so I think, um, yeah, catastrophizing and and making small things into big things might be easy to talk about just here on the podcast, but it, and it's harder in real life. Um, uh, I don't know if you've got any examples there of catastrophizing, Brent. Yeah, I mean, even when you have people who, if I'm working with a patient who's had a you know a big injury, like they've had an ankle, pretty nasty ankle fracture, or um, yeah, it's probably a good example where yeah, they it's probably just sunk in with the timeline that they've got for a, you know how long they're non-weight bearing for, and then when they will have a gradual reloading period and how long that will take, um, and then they can have a setback where something you know more painful than they'd like, but. It's also, I mean, you need to be realistic and talk about timelines, but sometimes it's saying, hey, let's just think about the next day or the next week. What can you do at the moment? We can't change what's going to happen in 12 weeks' time. And often in one or two weeks down the track, they're often improved and and then have a different outlook on that same 12-week period that they were probably looking at much more negatively, you know, when they were really sore. Now they're improving, they can often look at it differently as well. Yep. So you want to know where you're heading, but sometimes you've got to think, oh, yeah, I, I can't plan for 12 weeks, but I can plan for what can I do today and tomorrow and this week. Yep. It's often a good way to break it down into smaller chunks. Yeah, no, so good. Um, oh, I've just thought of one other one, and it's um, using the word should. Um, like often, like you can use the word should when you're giving instructions like, um, oh, like, you should push this button to turn the computer on like because that's the only way and that's how you do it but um when you're using the word should um for things that are a matter of opinion or um are, uh open for judgment and uh contextual um i think using the word should is a, is a tough one because I think um, especially in the world of like distance running where you have a lot of perfectionists and people that um, uh, yeah you almost feel like you, you have to go for a run you should go for a run and obviously consistency leads to um, uh, yeah improvement over time but I think um, a lot of runners can get stuck into the idea that they 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 have to go for a run um, every day, and if they don't go for a run, they feel guilty, they feel bad, they feel pressure, they feel anxiety. Um, and so I think the the idea of um, uh, yeah the words we use sometimes are really important. Um, I'm not not everyone like sometimes you could have like a runner that needs to go for a few more runs, and it's just obvious. And um, if they want to get better, they 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 just need to do more work but there's um there's a certain um i guess personality type that i'm probably um uh thinking about um that the 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 ones that the runners that um don't put a foot wrong and they they, it can just lead to like um uh over time so overtraining and um and and uh ill health really um over time if you tie tie yourself too much to to that ideology and um if you start thinking poorly of yourself um if you don't uh do certain regimes and it becomes a little bit unhealthy um yeah if you uh yes got anything to add there yeah even on that example of if a runner feels like they should go for a run 
Um, sometimes is it, a, you know, thinking about your own thoughts, is it that you've just had a busy day and you feel like you can't be bothered, but actually you'll feel better and, you know, you should, you, you know, should say even being aware of the wording. Yeah. Is it that um, you'd feel better to do the run and even, you know, let's start 15 minutes and if you feel terrible, pull the pin versus knowing am I actually sick? Am I actually something's, you know, there's actually a real reason not to run and knowing that it's okay not to run today, I'm not being lazy. Yeah. So yeah, is, think, it a, is it a should because I feel guilty or is it actually it's okay to make this decision today because this is where I'm at? Yeah, I think the idea of choice, like the idea of choice, mm. like you don't have to do it every day. Um, and I think people just sort of get, um, yeah, stuck into um, the habit of, that they they have to do it and then they feel bad and, and then that's a, that is a, a negative way to think um it's not productive um and it's an easy trap to fall into um because suddenly you're not being rational about your decision making you you're um yeah you've, you're fall, falling into that habit uh i think yeah, you're yeah. not just running to avoid punishing yourself you should be more to it than that yeah mm. exactly yeah 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 exactly um yeah yeah, they're, they're all the negative thoughts I had. Like, so, uh, there's another one. It's called personal personalization as well, um, uh, and that's just like how we can we can also uh, if something doesn't go right, and it might have been due to a lot of different circumstances, and it wasn't just your fault, but we blame ourselves, and um, like uh, you can fall into a trap of. Um, uh, just saying, oh, I'm no good because this didn't work. But then it, it could be a bit more complicated than that. There could have been a bit more to it. Um, and sometimes it is, um, yeah, uh, yeah, easy to just blame yourself if things don't work and, and then take up too much responsibility and then feel bad about it. Um, uh, yeah, so... Like, if I was to, like, quickly just go over all the negative thoughts that we just said, um, we said be wary of com the p comparison trap because um, that can be, like, the thief of joy. Uh, we said be wary of overgeneralizing. Sometimes uh, certain as uh, decisions uh, uh, or, or th ideas are... Um, there's a bit more to it. There's a bit more nuance to certain things and uh, be wary to just paint things with the one big brush um, and if um, an idea of training or um, a, a physio exercise or a diet or um, a, a mental um, uh, ha a, a mental imagery sort of practice didn't, didn't work, then don't discount um, other ways of doing a similar modality and sticking at it for a little bit while a little while uh, another one was catastrophizing making small things into big things um, uh, another one was all or nothing thinking um, uh, the other another one was being a, a pessimist um, so just viewing everything with a negative filter which is just the opposite to rose-colored glasses yeah and that's just about all of them. And then assumptions, so um, fortune telling. Um, so just predicting that 
um, there's no way I can do that, that just won't work, um, and, and mind reading where you think people are thinking about you in a certain way where it's highly likely that they're not thinking about you at all um, uh, and that all of these negative, negative thoughts can stop us from uh, doing good things, big things and um, making decisions that are ultimately really self-serving and um, uh, productive. Uh, so, yeah, I just wanted to raise awareness because I don't think enough people talk about this kind of stuff, especially in the physio world. And I know it's me trying to jump into a different silo. And I acknowledge that this isn't my, my silo, but I, I think it's important to have people talking about this um, uh, and, and the importance of mind, body, and how they connect and, and, and ra rather than um, separating the two um, so that um, people uh, start to become aware of um, yeah, how important um, yeah, the way you think is because that ultimately determines how you behave and how you feel. Uh, yeah, I don't know if you've got anything else. Well said. Well said? No, that's good. Mm. All right. Well, thanks for jumping on again, Brent. Um, and I, I just, I don't think we had it at the start, but can you just add like how your Achilles is going? Because um, last show that you were on, we were butting our heads and um, we we're talking about recognizing pattern recognition and um, if things weren't working and or if they are working and, and recognizing that um, and, and self-awareness. Um, yeah, how's your Achilles going? Yeah, really good. Um, I think we probably had to think about our own thoughts and yeah. decide, right, we've, we've had this Achilles issue for quite a while now and what have we done? Tick, tick, tick. All right, and where are we at? And it hadn't been working, so we had to look outside our usual little physio box. Um, and it's probably something that you wouldn't wouldn't do with someone as soon as they get Achilles pain. We probably did have to run through that large checklist first um, and not improve. So um, I guess we were. I'm glad though. We we talked about deciding to yeah to explore outside of physio treatments in my case because. Um, yeah, it was easy to default back to we're going to fix this. We're not going to let it win if that you know sort of that sort of attitude. But actually, it was um, yeah. I'm glad we did, and um, yeah, I've got my, I'm symptom free at the moment, and I'll need to follow a, a slow process in the next few weeks. But we're now making progress every day, and it's that's the you know addictive is saying hey, I'm already doing more than I was a week ago, and that snowball effect, and starting to think about later in the year how things could um, pick up. So. Um, yeah, picking up on those other patterns and, and negative thoughts has helped us to, yeah, rethink what we're doing and then look, we've now got a different result, so that's good. Yeah, it's so good. Like, um, like it's just amazing, like, because it was so long that you've had pain and then, um, yeah, um, do you mind detailing what you had done or, like, or as much as you want to talk about it? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Like, the big thing that wasn't making sense for my Achilles was, it wasn't following that same pattern that I've probably had before and seen with lots of other runners where you do your running or have an increase in running and then you have pain the day after and following days where it then settles down. My symptoms were very constant every day. I was sore every single morning, irrelevant of what I did the day before, whether that was run or didn't run. Um, and I was even getting pain in the gym with um, static holds and heavy, slow resistance training that shouldn't usually stir up lots of tendons. So. Um, we ended up getting um, a high volume injection, which basically injects 40 mils of, of saline 
which is um, like a, just um, a, a salty fluid and also a, a very little amount of, of corticosteroid between the Achilles. And there's another little tendon called plantaris. Um, and so having had that done and having a really good result, basically injecting the fluid makes a gap between the Achilles and plantaris where there was an adhesion. Um, and that would explain those symptoms not fitting the normal pattern and why it's you know, a huge improvement for us. So um, we have to yeah, go slow in the next couple of weeks having had a procedure done, but um, after that it'll be, yeah, we can progress on. And, and we've got to be aware that I haven't run for two months because of it. So that's probably the main thing we're managing now is just rebuilding me slowly, um, not getting too carried away. Yeah. Well, we'll watch this space. Um, but yeah, it's like finally, the first signs of progress that we've had for yeah a while and um yeah so it's so exciting and uh yeah like um i couldn't be happier for you um so yeah thanks for jumping on the show again brent and uh i'm sure um this podcast will be listen uh, uh useful for um quite a few people um and i certainly liked uh learning more and more about this aspect of um uh yeah, life and, and uh, learning about, um, yeah, automatic negative thoughts has certainly um, certainly helped me treat a lot of patients um, a bit more thoroughly and, and understand um, the way they think. And I think if more people can hear this, they might actually go, oh, hang on, I'm showing a bit of signs of mind reading or fortune telling here. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe I can rethink the way I'm thinking about this. So... Yeah, thanks. Thanks heaps again. Really good topic, I reckon. And uh, yeah, chat soon. Thanks, Dane. Great to chat. And yeah, it's always an interesting self-improvement um, approach to yeah, understand your own thoughts. And even though talking to you about it doesn't mean that I've, um, you know, we're all we've got it solved. But that's part of the part of the thing I enjoy. I think is you know learning about a situation. What can I do? What strategies have we got for improvement? And helping other people to think about similar things where they might come up with their own solution for themselves as well. Yeah, exactly. It's hardly hardly like a blueprint. It's just like an idea. And if that triggers um, someone to take it um, that uh, and make it relevant to themselves, um, yeah, I think that's how we can, um, yeah, help a few runners out there. And, um, uh, and, I, and I reckon, um, yeah, it, it's, it's just a, I just think it's a, a, a gap in the knowledge base out there um, uh, to an extent. Like, um, I think that's where all rehab starts, understanding yourself and um, knowing um, the biases that you have so that once you know that, then you're going to be more equipped at uh, making a more uh, well-rounded, balanced decision um, with the people in your corner. Um, so, and I, I think it's helped me understand that um, also knowing where as a physio, having that conversation with some people about, hey, you know what, you're, you know, you're interested in this topic. You see me for a physio for rehab physically, you know, and having that discussion about um, whether that's psychology or other team members that are even better equipped, it sort of helped me to have that discussion with people and get them on board as well. Not saying, hey, I don't know what to do, but it's it's showing them, hey, look, this is something you've done well with so far. Let's get the expert involved as well. And they've had good results. Oh, 100%. So like if that, if you're suddenly finding that um, you feel like this reverberates with you and, um, and then you feel like it's an area that, oh, hang on, maybe 
yeah, I, I could work on this and, and it might be really helpful for me, then yeah, definitely, um, yeah, reaching out. Um, there's a heap of good sports psychologists um, out there. Um, yeah, so, yep, uh, yep, lo love that we've co covered this area um, just briefly and, and giving people a snapshot that it's um, something that should come into your decision making. Uh, so, yeah, thanks, mate. Thanks, Dane. Great to chat.